0: Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 37, verses 3 to 6. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 552, if you'd like to follow along. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The word of the Lord. Well, today we're going to begin a new series um, called Move Closer. And it is my deep prayer for each and every one of us that as we begin a new year, that what we will pursue what will define our lives as we move farther into the year is a discovery that we have truly moved closer in our relationship with God, that we know Him more, that we understand His Word more clearly, and most importantly, that we've learned to delight in Him, just as the Scripture that we just that Dan read for us uh, just a moment ago tells us. As humans we have a tendency to drift towards performance. We have a tendency to base our worth on how well we do in the eyes of others. And that has a tendency to get transferred. Is this not working well? Okay, sorry, that's right. You can cut me off anytime you want. I haven't, I haven't done this in a while, so if I go long, just you have my permission to, to cut me off. Um, we have a tendency to drift towards performance and it impacts our relationship with God. And so when the Reformers were, were looking at how Christianity had drifted from what the Scriptures teach, they came up with a particular point that they wanted to um, drill into everyone who was a follower of Jesus Christ, a foundation upon which we could build our understanding of what it means to follow him, and what we are supposed to do as his people. And and so what the reformers came up with is they they wanted to look at our ultimate purpose, and and they defined it this way. They said that the chief end of man, that means our our ultimate design, what you and I were created for, what Jesus Christ saved us for, is two things, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Forever. Those two things are incredibly important. Now, some of us will have an okay time grabbing a hold of the glorify God. Now, glorify is not a word that that we use often outside of um, a religious setting. And so the way I'm going to define it, the Drulian definition is it means simply to lift up or to elevate Jesus Christ. That our lives, the things that we do, the way that we live, our obedience to God, um, the way that we live in our families, the, the way that we do our work, everything in our life is designed to lift up, to elevate Jesus. But the second part of that, enjoying God, tends to be something that we often overlook. We think about the things that God requires of us, and even in our approach to the things that we know we should do, We have a tendency to turn them into a duty rather than a delight. But God in his word over and over again calls us to enjoy him. And my prayer for each of us is that we will begin to deeply, deeply enjoy God. Wouldn't you like to do that? Wouldn't you like to to grow in your relationship with him to the point where there's incredible anticipation about being in his presence, about listening to his voice and seeing what he wants to do in and through your life. You see, you and I were made for intimacy. I believe the greatest need for every human being, men and women, is for intimacy. And our world tries to define intimacy in all kinds of ways. We try to market all kinds of products based upon sex because what they're trying to sell is appeal to your need and my need for intimacy. But sex and intimacy are not the same thing. Intimacy is to be fully known and fully loved, to be embraced, to be connected, to have your heart be united with another person. In the scripture, the biblical term that we see that reflects intimacy with God is union with Christ or united with Christ. Let me me show this to you from Romans chapter 6, verses three through five. And it's it's a great verse to start with because it picks up where where Boyd was last week in that great message he did on baptism. He says this, do you not know This union with Christ reflects our position. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are united with him. It's not based upon how you feel. It's not based upon how well you do. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has already done for you. When you confess faith in him, you're united with him. That's a positional truth. But oftentimes, it isn't a living truth in our life. And here at ICP, we've decided that one of the things that we want to do is live truth. Not just talk about it, not proclaim it, but more than anything, live it. We're designed to love God, to live truth, to give grace, and to walk together in the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're hope we're going to discover to do today. So we're united with Christ and we're called to enjoy God. Now, how do we do that? It's interesting. Did any of you have to learn to enjoy uh, pasta? I'll just pick one. Alex had to learn. Why? You had to learn to enjoy pasta? Okay, that's all right. It could be that way. You know, it's... I'd be all, right. all right. Or what's your favorite? Somebody tell me your favorite food. Chocolate. Chocolate. My wife would naturally say chocolate. Did you have to learn to enjoy chocolate? It pretty much just came, right? It, it's, it's a taste that we enjoy. In, in the same way, for, for reasons that are beyond my understanding, some people, even in this room, enjoy cricket. That one's for you. Happy birthday, Trev. I don't understand the game. You know, it looks like baseball, but it's certainly not. Um, but anyway, we enjoy those things naturally. But when it comes to learning how to enjoy God, there seems to be a roadblock. Be, and often, the reason there is a roadblock in your life and my life is, first of all, because we don't really believe He delights in us. One of the songs that we sang earlier was, is entitled Reckless Love, and it begins with the phrase that uh, says that God was singing over me, and it, it's a... A reference to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, where it speaks of God singing over his people with loud singing, with joy. He takes delight in us. And oftentimes, because we recognize how far we fall short, we think God doesn't delight in us. Let me give you the absolute proof that Jesus delights in you. He gave his life for you. He knew everything about you, everything that you would ever do, everything that you would ever say, and he died for you anyway. Not because you deserve it, but because he delights in you. And we need to allow that truth to penetrate our minds if we're going to learn to enjoy God. So I want to just point out a few things here as we begin this series, and, and as we go through it, we're going to look at are um, various patterns in the scripture that help us understand how to move closer to God. The tabernacle itself, or the temple, is a picture of moving into deeper intimacy with God and how God has provided that for us. Also, we see in certain relationships, we're going to look um, a bit beginning today with at Moses, and we're going to see... Uh, a, a glimpse of his heart and the intimacy that he enjoyed with God. We're also going to be looking at the disciples a little later on and see how they related to the Lord and see how we can apply that practically to our own lives. But to begin that, if we're to enjoy God, it begins with a path. And that path is choosing to elevate Jesus and enjoy God. That is the path that you and I are to take that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Listen to what it says in Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In other words, what he's saying is, this is the way that you and I should live. And what does he say the path of life is? He says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Well, whose presence? It's in God's presence The joy that your heart longs for and that my heart longs for is found in the presence of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So many times we get a picture of God because we recognize that he is absolutely holy and that he alone is the true judge. We forget that he created all enjoyment, all pleasure, that they are all reflections of who he is. And he designed for you and I to have pleasure in his presence. The greatest path of life for you and I to follow is to experience God's presence. That should be our first prayer. Lord, I want to experience your presence. This year, as we begin 2019, I want to experience your presence in a fresh, new way. The greatest pleasure in life is to enjoy God. And the greatest purpose in our life is to lift up or to elevate Jesus. See, we were made to dwell in God's presence and experience his pleasure. But sin robbed us of that. That's what happened back at the fall. When Adam and Eve turned away from God, what they lost was that intimacy with God, that time in his presence. And it was Devastating because what they enjoyed before they sinned was all that God had created for us to experience. But the great news is is that Jesus Christ has opened up the way for us back into God's presence. That's why when the scriptures reveal that when Jesus was crucified on the cross and then he proclaimed, it is finished, at that very moment, the veil into the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, opening a way into the very presence of God himself. Jesus is the way. And he invites us to experience his presence, and his pleasure. This is also what Jesus means when he's teaching in John chapter 15 when he says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now, I want you to think about that that phrase for just a moment. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, he just told you. The same love that the Father has for the Son, the same quantity, the same quality of love that God the Father has for Jesus Christ in whom he said he is well pleased, that's how much he loves you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? Okay, wake up just a little bit. I'm the one with jet lag, okay? All right. (laughs) As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And abide means to dwell. It means um, because we come from Colorado, camping was a big part of our life. And so what abide means is you pitch a tent and you stay there right by the side of the river beneath the mountain, and it's great. That's what he's saying is I want you to camp out in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And as we go on in this series, we'll explain exactly what that means. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's saying my presence, God's presence, is where you're going to have a fullness of joy. It's gonna overflow into every other aspect of your life. And so what God does is he actually commands us to delight in him. Now that may seem strange, um, but, but it is God commanding for us that which is at our very best interest. The highest good we could ever experience is what he is telling us to pursue with all that we are. God is the one who gives pleasure, ultimate pleasure, real, tangible, soul-stirring, spirit-lifting pleasure. I want you to think about all the gifts that you enjoy, the things of this world that are meaningful to you. Food, I already mentioned those, chocolate, Um, coffee, that would also be on my wife's list. Pizza would be there for me. Um, Everything you can imagine, your relationships, the wonders of a sunrise, skiing down a mountainside, a, a nice, beautiful cup of wine, or for me, a ginger beer, it's good stuff. What are the pleasures that come to mind for you whatever they are we need to recognize that those come from God in James he tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father above the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning every good thing you and I experience is a reflection of the goodness of God now a, a reflection is really is a beautiful thing what we see in a mirror But it's not the substance itself. So the greater pleasure is not found in God's gifts, but in the giver. This is the thing we need to get a hold of. God created good things to give to us because they were all meant to point us to him, to find even more pleasure in him so that we can enjoy his gifts even more. Every one of them are designed to point us to him we need to understand jesus taught us that good only comes from god if you remember there was a time when jesus was being confronted by the religious rulers of the day and they were challenging him about his teaching and about his healing on the sabbath and one of the rulers in luke chapter 18 verses 18 through 19 it says this and a ruler asked him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What Jesus is teaching there is he's helping him, the the ruler, to understand who Jesus is, who he is. His real identity is that he is God, and that he did address him in the right way but he wasn't giving credit to the fact that all good comes from one source and one source alone, God himself. Every good thing that you enjoy, that I enjoy, comes from God. It is a reflection of his character, of his goodness, of his generosity. And God, in his incredible love, gives good things to all people. The scripture says that he makes the sun to shine upon the righteous and the wicked because it is his nature to give us his goodness. And it's a beautiful thing. God created food that tastes good so that we could taste and see that the Lord is good. If you love sports, there's such a great, great quote from from the Olympic runner of, of uh, generations ago, Eric Little. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, everything we do, the most ordinary thing that is good can point us to pleasure of God. That's what Eric Little had discovered. When he ran, he ran not for the exercise, not for the glory of winning an Olympic medal, he ran because as he ran, he could feel God's pleasure flowing through himself. That's what God is inviting us to. Friendship is God's idea. He created it. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, and Jesus calls us his friends in John fifteen fourteen. When you enjoy uh, or I enjoy a, a game night at the bridge with friends, it's a reflection of the goodness and pleasure of God. And it's not good only if you win. It's good because you're there enjoying it with friends. There's pleasure there. In the same way, God created physical intimacy between a husband and a wife to, have, to be a human picture that points us to what being one with him is like, not in the physical way, it's simply an example, but that union, that knowing one another and being fully loved is what God has for all of us, whether we're married or single or divorced or widowed, it doesn't matter. He's saying, I want to share that kind of union with you. I desire you. All good that we experience is a reflection of the goodness of God. Sin is a shadow that seems to offer goodness, but actually pushes us away from the true source, God Himself. Our flesh, the world, and the enemy will tempt us with sin that looks like it's offering something that will bring pleasure. But that pleasure quickly fades because it is not rooted in the source of God himself. That's why God calls us to turn away from sin, to confess it, to repent of it, and to come back to him as the true source of all that is good. And and so God... When he gives us commands, it is for our very best. Listen to his commands that he gives to us in the scripture about enjoying God. In Philippians 4 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Choose to take joy in the person of God Himself. Psalm 37:4, we read earlier, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 32:11, be glad in the Lord. Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Psalm 165, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And Psalm 143, 6 says, I stretch out my hands to you for my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. God invites us to pursue the greatest pleasure in enjoying Him. When God becomes our treasure, our souls overflow with worship and praise. Enjoying God and worship are interwoven. In fact, enjoyment and worship are from the exact same bolt of cloth there's a great quote from C.S. Lewis, as he was was he is uh, examining this subject and in, in his commentary on the Psalms, he says this: I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mit- mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, even cricket footnote in there, praise of the weather, of wine, of dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical people, children, flowers, mountains, Um, even sometimes, this one may or may not be true, sometimes politicians or scholars, that might be debatable, at least one of those, I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capricious minds praised most. While the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising. They say things like, Isn't she lovely? Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? The psalmist is telling everyone to praise God and they're doing what all men do when they speak about that which they value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. That's what God's inviting us to. Enjoy what he has given, praise him for it, and it becomes even more fulfilling more meaning. Jesus affirmed this with his great commandments. He commands us to do that which honors him most. The thing that we are to pursue is to loving God with all that we are. That's why Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, with all that we are. And the second commandment is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. In other words, what he's telling us to do is your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment is gonna be found in loving God with all that you possess, all the strength, all the thoughts, all the emotions, all that you are. And in the same way, you'll find great joy in loving those that I love. We're to love others as Christ loves us. So he commands us to do that which is the very best for us, the most pleasurable for us. So how do you do that? How do you enjoy God? How do we pursue loving him? How do we, as Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do we do that? Well, To enjoy God, we need to remember that God is a person. We enjoy him much in the same way as we would enjoy any other person. He's not a thing. He's not a force. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you delight in him in the same ways that you delight in another person. So how do you delight in someone else? Well, you listen to them. That's a good place to begin. You take an interest in what they're interested in. You spend time together. It's really hard to delight in someone else if you're not with them or if you're not listening. You share hopes. You share your dreams, your fears with them. You ask for forgiveness when you wrong them, right? Do do you realize what that sounds a lot like is actually prayer? That's what we do in prayer. Prayer. We ask God for forgiveness because we recognize that we've turned away from who he is and what he asks of us. We share our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our fears with him in prayer because he is the one who knows us best and loves us most. We seek to honor them. You delight in God as a person. And those that you truly love, enjoying them is never a duty. It's a delight. Last Sunday, um, while we were preparing to to leave, was Rebecca and I's 35th wedding anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to confess before you, our family, how I delight in her. And what's even more amazing is somehow, by God's miraculous grace, she seems to delight in me. It's, it's truly a miracle. Um, now, because I delight in her, it's easy to look for ways to be interested in the things that she's interested in, to look for ways that please her, that honor her. Now, we, we had a, a lovely evening. We went out to, to dinner um, together, but because we were getting ready to go on a plane, um, I didn't really give her, get a chance to give her a gift that I wanted to give her because taking flowers on a plane just really doesn't work. So, so here, my love, is your anniversary flowers. Now, that's a simple relationship, but there's no duty in delighting in her. It's the joy of my heart. And when you come to know God in that same way, you will so look forward to spending time in his word, listening to his voice, to spending time with him in prayer, to focusing on and thinking about the things he is interested in because you relate to him as a person. In the next few weeks, we're going we're to look at how we begin to relate individually to, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but also to them collectively because God is one being in thir- three persons. And each one has a part in our salvation. Each one has a part in our daily life. And we can cultivate our relationship with them, with him. It's, kind of, it's a little challenging, but it works. We delight in God as a person. I want to read to you um, a very, very important verse. Turn in your Bibles if you, have, uh, if you have them with you. If not, it'll be on the screen. To Psalm 51, 11. Psalm 51 is the confession of David. After he had committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba and, and he had cr- committed the even worse sin of sending Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, out to be killed and, and in essence committed murder, he writes Psalm 51 as a confession to the Lord of his sin. He's turning back to the Lord, recognizing what he has done. But I want, to, I want you to notice what I think is the most important verse in the psalm, verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David, as he is confessing, recognizes that the most precious thing in all of the universe is God's presence. He knows that he has sinned against God. He is worthy of judgment but the one thing he pleads with God for is don't take your presence away from me. The reason I believe that God in the scriptures refers to David as a man after his own heart is because he had that kind of understanding of the importance and the joy of God's presence. In the same way, um, I want to show you a passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 33. Um, After God delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt um, and after he had parted the Red Sea and they they go out into the, the wilderness, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai in order to receive the law or the Torah, the word of God. And he comes down with what we call and understand as the Ten Commandments. Tom did a series of messages on those Ten Commandments. Well, Moses was up upon the mountain and there was a cloud over the mountain and so they, they knew that Moses was there. They had seen the presence of the Lord as being um, manifest in the cloud and in a pillar of fire. They had, um, they had remembered what God had done but much like you and I, the people of Israel became impatient. In their minds, God was taking too long and Moses certainly was taking too long. Now, the passage I'm going to read to you um, in just a moment takes place 50 days after the Passover, after God set Israel free and Egypt said, you can go, go and worship your God, go to the, go to the promised land. 50 days after they had witnessed 10 miraculous events of the plagues that came upon Egypt, and even less time since they had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and walked across on dry land. God had proven who He was. And in less than 50 days, they got impatient. And so they went to Aaron, the brother of Moses, and they said, Make us a God like the gods of Egypt, the very gods that. The God of the universe proved he is more powerful than. But in their rebellion against the Lord, they went to Aaron and Aaron said, Well, give me your, your jewelry and um, your gold. And he fashioned a golden calf. And rather than worship the living God, they bowed down and worshiped a calf, an inanimate object, an idol while Moses is on the mountain. And God tells Moses it's time to go back because the people have broken away. They've lost their vision. They've cast off restraint. They've rebelled against me and what you have taught them. And they are worshiping a false God. And here's how God responded. Now, there's there's so much here, and I just don't have time to to go into it, but I want you to see what God responded Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Remember that phrase. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Here's what God was saying. I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am a God who keeps his word. I promised you a land that would be fruitful. I promised you that you would receive it, that your descendants would receive it. I'm going to fulfill my promise. But because the people of Israel had rebelled against God, he said, I'm not going with you. I'm going to give you success. I'm going to give you blessing. But what you're not going to have is my presence. God offered that to Israel. And Moses was wise enough to see that would be the most disastrous thing in all possibilities of the universe. And as he had shared it with them and spoken to them, chapter 32 gives us Moses' intercession. He pleads and offers his own life as as a ransom for the people of Israel. He he says to God, Lord, you you can take my life but don't take your presence away from your people. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would actually do for us in paying the price for our sin. Moses looked like Jesus and what he was going to do for us. And in verse 4 in Exodus 33, it says, and when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments, his jewelry, or his, his nice clothes. For the Lord God had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people, which means you're prideful. For if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you because God is holy. The thing you and I should be most fearful of in all of the universe is to be separated from God's presence. On the other hand, the greatest pleasure, the greatest treasure in all of our life is enjoying God's presence. That's why I want want to drive this home. In fact, some of you, 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 maybe you wrestle with the idea of, of the biblical teachings on hell. But if God gives us what we truly want, which is to say, God, I want nothing to do with you. I don't care about your presence. If God was to give people that, it is hell. The physical manifestations of a lake of fire, of torture, of difficulty, of chaos, those are all consequences of being separated from the presence and goodness of God. It is the thing we should fear. But the thing we should pursue is the joy of his presence. God had offered them his provision, success, the kind of thing that many people in our world today would take. Yeah, if I'm going to be successful, if you're going to drive out all of my enemies... I'll take that, but the cost would have been the presence of God, and that is a price too high. So Moses pleaded with God for Israel, and God relented. God forgave them, and in fact, the next the, when that happened, it was called Pentecost. That was the giving of the law. The next Pentecost that we see truly celebrated in Scripture is the giving of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection so that God's presence would be with each and every believer continually. You see, that was God's plan all along, was to move closer to you and to I. And so the path is elevating and joining Jesus in in a way that that is... the fulfillment of a joyful life. The pursuit is delighting in God and loving him with all that we are. The person is learning to delight in God as a person in a similar way to which we would delight with another person. And then the practice is learning to listen to God's voice. This coming year, instead of studying the Bible or completing a reading plan, let me invite you to choose to listen to the voice who, of the one who loves you most and desires to fill you with his joy and his presence. His joy is found in dwelling in his presence both now and through all eternity. And so I want to encourage you to, today to choose to move closer by saying, Lord, I want to listen to what you have to say. I want to hear your voice one of the things that very practically helps me to do that is not only reading the scripture, but listening to it. And I can download it on my phone and, and, and listen to it over and over again, and there are some great tools, there are great apps that are available that will give audio Bibles in many different languages. And, and so let me just highlight a few of those if you don't have them. YouVersion is a great Bible. It's in a whole, every language you can imagine, almost. Not, not quite all of them yet, but it, it's there. It's a free app. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your computer, tablet, whatever that you have. Another one is called Bible.is. And uh, this comes from Faith Comes by Hearing. And th- these are all audio Bibles. And not only are they audio Bibles, but many of them have um, the Jesus film. In, in, and it has it in about 300 different languages. And so it can help you learn from the scripture, listening from what God has said, listening to his voice and coming closer into his presence. There are others, there are other study apps like Olive Tree or um, Faith Life is is another one. And there are many others. But I want to encourage you, this year, if you're going to choose to move closer, choose to listen to God's word as if he is speaking directly to you. And listen. Listen. I gave you some some tips about active listening um, uh, before we left. And and I just want to revisit those. Active listening is these five steps. We read or listen to it slowly. Then we reflect and meditate. We're still. Then we respond back to the Lord by saying, Lord, this is what I, I, I hear you saying, and here's how I'm choosing to respond. Here's how I want to obey what you've said. The next, we rest in God's promises. We rest in what he has told us is true and is real. And then finally, we rejoice in who God is and what he's doing. If you'll begin to practice that, you'll move closer to the Lord. You'll enjoy his presence more and more. One final thing before we close is, is this. Maybe you're in a place right now where you say, yeah, Drew, but I've been trying to seek God, and, and he just seems hidden. He seems far from me. And I don't know what else to do. All of us go through seasons of waiting, and they're difficult seasons. they are times when our, our soul can feel incredibly dry. But I discovered in these last few months a a truth that um, has changed my perspective, and I believe if you can embrace it, it will change yours as well. You see, when God seems hidden, when we are waiting on Him, is our opportunity to speak God's love language. All of us have love languages ways that we best express love and ways that we need love to be expressed to us. Um, When I do uh, premarital counseling, I talk a lot about the different areas and facets of of a person's um, needs and their emotional needs. Well, God doesn't have any needs, but he does have a love language. That love language is faith. It is obedience, How radically different would things have been for Israel if they would have waited in faith for one more day? That's all it would have taken. Moses was coming back with God's word and with the demonstration, and they would have went not only with God's provision and with success, but they would have went with God's presence in a way that we can hardly even begin to imagine. But like us, they sinned too soon. Their impatience didn't allow them to express their love back to God and saying, "Lord, I don't understand, but I choose to trust in you. I want to show my love to you. I want to delight in you by waiting one more day. You speak when I'm ready, because I delight in you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would take your word. I pray that you would erase the things that are of, of man, that are of myself, and that your spirit would speak into our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would draw us into your presence. And Lord, that we as a people would learn to delight in you, that we would encourage one another, to delight in you. For Lord, where your presence is, there is life. And we want to be a church that elevates and lifts up Jesus. But to do that, we must first be a church, be a people, be individuals who choose to delight in you. So Lord, today, I take a step of faith and I invite all those here to take a step of faith, of saying, Lord, we want to move closer to you. We want to learn to delight in you in all that we do. And Lord, if you'll empower us by your Holy Spirit, by your grace to do that, we know you will do great and amazing things here in this city, in this church, in this land, that lift up your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.